Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Today I'm talking about one of the games in the Earthbound series, Mother 3. I'm recording this on the same day as an episode about Earthbound, and I'm not sure which one I'm going to throw at you first. So, for all I know, this was a week after Earthbound, or a week before Earthbound. It's it's not really fun for you, because you're just going to see it when it happens, but it'll be fun for me to figure out which one's going to happen. So anyway, a thing about me in the Earthbound series is that I'm not really that attached to Earthbound. I think it's kind of a cool game, but I'm just, I don't really have that much loyalty to it. But on the other hand... I'm very fond of its sequel, Mother 3, which I guess would technically be Earthbound 2, and I'm a lot more familiar with that game as a result. But since it's still in the Mother series, that means that there's a lot of reputation, a lot of fun facts and details and other things to sift through, so I needed a little bit of help, so I brought back Philip from the Octopath Traveler episode. Say hi. Hello. Yep, that's him. Uh, I, I said hello. Okay, we're going. So, so, Mother 3, just as a basic example of what we're getting into, it's kind of like Earthbound in that it's a JRPG with non-standard JRPG settings, like the fact that it takes place in more of a suburban type of place, and Instead of magic, you have psychic powers, and all the characters are really loopy. Stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, if we're talking about Mother 3, I would call it more rural instead of suburban, but more of a modern setting than any RPG you'd ever yeah. see. Yeah. So, why don't we get into some of our respective histories with the game? You're the... You're the guest, you can right. go first. Okay. So, uh, like basically everyone on this side of the Pacific, I first heard of the Mother series through Smash Bros. Um, I was fond of Ness because I'm disgusting, I guess, and so I would play as him, and I eventually heard, like, hey, there's this game that he's from. And I didn't ever get to play it until I was, like, 12 or so, and I liked it pretty well. But then there was its actual sequel, which apparently people really liked, allegedly because it was still in Japanese. <clears throat> and so Mother 3 was always kind of like the holy grail for me until the actual translation came out. And then I played it and liked it quite a bit, and just over the past, I don't know how long it's been, almost a decade, I've just kind of about considered it somewhere close to my favorite game. Okay. I also mainly found out about the series through Smash Brothers, and I remember looking at the Brawl Dojo, and it introduced the Western world to Lucas, and I was like, so so is that guy replacing Ness? Which I guess they wanted to do during Melee, but never got around to it. I did look into the game, and I actually recognized some elements from his levels in brawl in mainly the adventure mode due to certain videos I happened to watch about Earthbound, and this is a little hard to talk about without spoilers, so I'm just going to drop it here. There's a spoiler warning 
for this game because it's too hard to talk about with spoilers. Also, it's from 2006. Oh. So, like, get on that if you haven't. Yeah, I mean, on. everyone who cares about this game already knows everything about it. But just as a courtesy, you know, it, it's it's more Earthbound. It's a little more emotional than Earthbound and a little more uh, tightly put together, I would think, in a gameplay perspective. So, if that sounds good, go play it. Otherwise, spoiler stuff. But, yeah. I I learned a little more about who Lucas was. I learned the situation with Porky or Pokey or whatever you want to call him. And I thought, oh, that sounds really cool. And then this was a little before we had a fast-paced internet at my house because we were cavemen and had dial-up until 2008. And when we finally started getting better internet, I started watching more videos, which included videos of Mother 3, because I was kind of interested at the time, and it kind of stuck with me ever since then, because it was a lot more heavy than what I was used to. Some of the games I played before then did have their heavy moments, but I wasn't really old enough to appreciate them at the time, so I guess in a sort of way it was kind of like a little bit of a loss of innocence to be exposed to some of the themes in this game. I didn't actually get to play it myself until that uh, uh, translation came out, and it was only a couple years later. I didn't ever actually beat the game, though. I got into the early reaches of Chapter 7, and then somehow years have passed and it's I'm two laptops later. But you still no, haven't No, I mean, I, I know everything that happens, but I haven't... Act... Barbarian, okay. No wonder you brought me. <laughs> I wanted to, but I, I don't even remember what was going on at the time. I do remember some fun facts of my experience, but we can save that for later parts of the show. So, did that game have... I mean, you said it's one of your favorite games. Do you think it was kind of an introductory game for a lot of things for you as well, like it was for me? I don't really remember exactly what was going on in my life when I played it, or even quite how old I was. But, let's see. I know it was one of my first really story-heavy games, and I know that was about when I was starting to figure out that I did lean towards RPGs for mm. that reason. Um... I think I always liked it early on for the emotional aspects and the humor, and then as I've grown er as I've grown older, I've just started to appreciate the themes more. Just along those lines, everything that it has to say about living. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, Vinny of Vine Sauce played through the game for the first time, and as as the sheep that I am, I kind of get in the mood for certain games by watching him play it, and that got me thinking about this game a lot more lately. And it's really interesting seeing someone go through it all for the first time and kind of picking up some details that I've either forgotten or missed since then, since my first time. Gameplay and stuff, I said it's a little better than Earthbound in some ways. Would you agree with that? It's not hard to be a little better than Earthbound in some ways. <laughs> the Mother series is not really strong because of its gameplay 
it's mostly just enough to pace out the game so you have something to do when the story is not going on, but it doesn't really... It's not why you come. Well, I remember seeing some stuff related to difficulty in Earthbound, but that's more for the Earthbound episode than this one. I did have a few uh, stumbling blocks in this game when I played it. <clears throat> it's decently hard. I feel like if you get really familiar with RPG conventions through other games, it eventually shows that it's not really that complex or difficult. It's not complex, but... If new... but... <clears throat> yeah, if, if you're new to the genre, it's pretty challenging. That's a really backhanded, pretentious thing for me to say, but that's what I think. Well, it, I think it gets a little hectic because of the scrolling hit points and the fact that the party mm -hmm. has a set turn order... There's also the fact that the the party doesn't act in the same order you determine their moves. Yes. That's not too uncommon for RPGs. I know Bravely Default does it at least. Um not so much of a fan of that. It makes it difficult to plan anything out, but it works. Um you mentioned the scrolling HP meter. That is something I actually do really, really like. Um because it means that when someone gets killed, you have this last-minute rush to try and get a healing spell out and save them. Yeah, just... And so, you're tr and so you're trying to go through your turn as fast as possible. And I find that makes strategizing a lot more fun, because you have to do it on the fly. Yeah, it just sucks that the best healer always seems to move last, and you also have to yes. neuter some of your musical attacks just to get to their turn faster. Yes. Well, I think that might be intentional. You have to neuter some of your attacks to get to the actual heal, so you're sacrificing something to get out of a perilous situation. I think that works. I just would rather this mechanic be on a harder game that makes me actually use it. Because I only ever actually had to do this sort of thing, like, five times over the course of the game in my last playthrough. You, you've played this game... Multiple times. I've played the I've 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 played this game like four times at least. It's been something I grew up with. I've played it seven eighths of one time. So yeah, that'll do it. But going to the musical attacks, I like that they have a system where you can attack with the music. So you're rewarded with better damage if you have a good grasp of rhythm. On the plus side of that, I do really like that it makes combat more engaging, like you're actually doing something turn to turn, and it just keeps your attention on it. What I don't like about it is that in the West, you can only really play it on an emulator, and those have a bit of input delay. Uh, yeah, that that is true, an emulator, or your legit overclocked Nintendo Game Boy Advance system. Mm-hmm. One thing that I get why it's in the game, but I still think it's mean, is that some of the battle themes will try to trip you up by adding <laughs> variations where the certain beats are delayed or just altered, and it's like, oh, oh, I, I need to look up the time signature for Strong One. Oh, yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's just bonkers. Let me see here. I noticed sometimes I would just listen to some of the music independently 
around on YouTube, and it would be, oh, this sounds slightly different than I remember. And then watching Vinny play, I realized, this is different than I remember. They're just mixing up the song just to mess with you. Yep. Uh, so, Strong One comes in two variations. Well, uh, it's the one Strong One the... is the name of one of the late game battle themes for people who don't yes, know. Yes, I, I was going to say, it's the theme for the first Mass Man fight and the theme for the Barrier Trio. Um, I can't find the time signature for the Barrio Trio one, but on the Mass Man, it is 29 over 16. Now, I'm not that versed in music for as much as I like to talk about music, but I do know that that is a very odd signature. Yes, normally you see things like 4 over 4, or 2 over 4, really mostly things over 4, sometimes over 8. Um, over 16 is weird. 29 over 16 is just not okay. They do not want you getting musical attacks on him. Like I said, I get why they have that going on, because they don't want it to get too easy. But at the same time, it's just mean. I think it makes for a fun conversation piece, and the... It's not that mean when they're not super, super hard fights in the first place. Although Mass Man is the hardest fight in the game, like, bar none. I mean... Actually, both of those are the hardest fights in the game, bar none. I mean more the fact that, like, they're counting on you to, like, remember the song. Yeah. And they're just like, whoops, haha, neener, neener, neener. It's a remix. Oh, yeah, when they, like, change it. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah. Th that starts as early Fair as enough. Chapter 2. Does it? I didn't know that I, I think it does. Uh, it does another thing that Earthbound did, where boss themes aren't really unique to bosses. You can find random enemies with some of the boss themes. I mean, there are still exceptions to the rule, but I kind of like that. It makes it kind of makes better use of the whole music system if they're gonna let you use songs more than once. I didn't know that any boss songs showed up on normal enemies. Yeah, like as far as I know, yeah. they're pretty distinct. Yeah, like strong um, one but... actually that plays against... Oh yeah, Strong One does play on an enemy. You're yeah, right. and then okay. the Chapter 3 boss theme, the Chapter 4 and 5. Well, okay, some of those might be the remix versions, but close enough. Yeah, I think they get remixed. Like, I think okay, Chapters fair. 1 and 2 are the only really unique chapter theme, boss themes, and then there's some of the end game bosses, but that's, you know, the end. Okay, fair enough. I do like that there's so much diversity in the battle themes in this game, because, like, look at almost any other RPG, 90% of them have one battle theme for the entire game. Yeah. I think... And just mm -hmm. sh shaking that up is just so strong for Mother 3 and every other game that does it, because it makes things feel like less of a grind. Yeah, and I think I think more games are catching on that people like that. Yeah, I know Octopath Traveler had three battle themes. Yeah. And so that was nice to see. I, I like how Pokemon uh, generally changes the battle theme based on what kind of opponent you're fighting. Oh yeah, that's fair. Uh, Xenoblade 1, depending on which Titan you're next to, it changes the battle theme. Okay. So yeah, a few games do it. And it's definitely getting more common nowadays. But especially in 2006 when Mother 3 did it, that was... And freaking 1995 or whatever that Earthbound did it. Yeah. 
really incredible right there. Just does so much for both of those games. Are there any other gameplay quirks that I've forgotten since I'm not the one who played the game a lot? Nope. Nope. That's pretty much all there is. The music thing and the scrolling HP thing. That's all Mother 3 does that's really special. Okay. Mechanically. Alright. Anything badly that it does mechanically that you think? Because no game is perfect. Well, mostly just how few options the player really has. There's no customization in your party whatsoever. Like, what you see is what you get. Um, You mean like a job system? Like job systems? It's not always job systems. Like, uh, Final Fantasy VI has the espers so that you can teach your party new spells. Uh, Seven has... Materia, you customize uh, I see. So what goes on your weapon. Basically, your magic. Basically, Lucas is going to be the same in every playthrough. Duster yes. will be the same, etc., etc. You can kind of mix up your weapons a few times in the game, but never that meaningfully. I guess that makes sense. It's also a Game Boy Advance game, so there's not too much they can do. Not necessarily. I mean different genre, but the Fire Emblem games, well, some of them are on Game Boy Advance. Um, A lot of the Super Nintendo Final Fantasies got ported to Game Boy Advance. So it's not like mechanically you can't do it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, it's not really what Mother is about in the first place, so I don't really curse it for that, but it is something that it's missing. Yeah, I'm just inviting you for all the RPGs that favor characters and story over mechanics, I noticed. Okay, so uh, I think the next point on the bullet list would be probably the bulk of the episode would be to kind of just a play-by-play of the game, since it's kind of the drawing point of the game. So, I guess it it kind of, it's worth noting that you're allowed to name a bunch of things right off the bat, just like in the Earthbound, the Earthbound. And, you know, that'd be kind of a better name for it than just Earthbound, because then it sounds like it's actually talking about the aliens. Oh, dear. But anyway, you get to name Lucas and his family and his favorite food and what his signature spell will be. And well, it's not, co- it's not your signature spell. It asks what your favorite thing well, is. Yeah, but... I'm going to be particular about that because I love it. Did you say you love it on purpose? No. Mm. But we'll say that I did. Cut that out in post. Yes! <laughs> Watch me just leave it in like a jerk. <laughs> I, I'm expecting you to. Please do that. Like that last episode you were in where I just left in you explaining the joke about Hanet fighting the dragon in Mario Odyssey. <laughs> oh no. Anyway. Hmm? I was going to say to move on, yeah. Anyway, you get to name all that stuff. And I guess Itoi, Shigesato Itoi, wanted you to name Lucas and his family after whoever your family mates would be. And I never really cared for that, really. Um, I think he said so as an, or in an interview, yeah. Um, I've never really done that either, I don't think. Uh, it kind of gets thrown apart if you don't have the requisite family. Like, I don't have any brothers. Yeah. I can't 
I can't just name Lucas's twin brother after one of my sisters. Oh, no. oh nice. It doesn't work. See, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta I, name him Philip. You gotta name Lucas Philip, and then you gotta anagram that and name Klaus that. I suppose. And also, I had like I had two dogs. Which dog gets repped on Boney? Well, one of them gets promoted to brother. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, no, they were both girls. That doesn't work. You have the same problem. Wow. So, I didn't like that system anyway, and I actually do have the prerequisite family members, but I, I just like naming them the default names a lot of the times. Except, lately in Zelda games, I like to mess up Link's name by, like, one letter. Of course. So, I'll, I'll name him Lint or something. I love Lonk. Uh, he's, he's good. Um, yeah, I... I mean, I like the default names anyways in the Earthbound games. Like, you get the anagram on Lucas and Klaus. Uh, Flint is a very fitting name. Hinawa, they didn't translate for some There's reason. There's actually a story behind uh, that, is that I think the t fan translation wanted to name her something like Amber to kind of match Flint, right. but since she was already called Hinawa in Smash Brothers Brawl, they were kind of out of luck there. Okay. I think I remember that now, yeah. You know, maybe maybe when I play the game I'll just rename her that anyway. They'll, Fair enough. That'll be my exception to the default name rule. Cause mm -hmm. I especially hmm? I especially like that the default on your favorite thing is love. Well, that's all you need. Like Yeah. Like Earthbound the default is rockin', Mother Three the default is love, and just Kind of says the difference between those two games and sort of sets the tone for everything that's going in, I guess. Very eloquent. Yeah, Ness likes music. Lucas likes the bonds that keep his family together. Welp. There goes that. And then you have Lucas's favorite food, which doesn't come up that often. It's mostly just as a punchline throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think omelets is a pretty fitting one, at least. Like, because omelets require really simple ingredients, they're not super complicated, but they are reasonably difficult to make right. Like, I can't make an omelet without screwing it up. Oh. And so, it's just like, you hear that, and it's like, okay, it's something his mom makes them. Okay. I feel like of all the things, the favorite food is probably the one I'd be the most likely to change. Yes. Probably helps that I never really liked eggs. What if what if we just give Lucas like something really out there, like foie gras or something? Oh yeah, he is he is a fancy <laughs> pants man. He needs just that. See, this this episode is going to take a while because we're still on the naming screen. I get. <laughs> And whose fault is that, pal? But uh, so after after you name everyone, like the the prologue is just there to kind of introduce you to how idyllic Lucas's family life is, and how this is a world where you can play with dinosaurs without causing any ruckus, stuff like that. And it kind of introduces you to the battle system in a very light way. You think that's uh, accurate? Uh, I can't hear you. Uh, pause for a second. 
So after the naming screen, the prologue is very short. It basically serves to showcase Lucas's idyllic family life and how this is a very friendly world where you can play with dinosaurs without causing too much of a fuss, and you get a very light introduction to the battle system. Is there anything in particular about that that you want us to talk about? Um, the main things I like about it are, one, what you said, with it just being this idyllic little family trip to Grandpa's house up in the mountains. Um, one thing that really sticks out to me about the prologue is that this is the only section where Hinawa actually really gets any lines, other than as a ghost, I suppose. And... Uh, she just really kind of kills it in her short amount of screen time. Like, she's actually kind of snarky with her kids. Like, if you try to go outside in your pajamas, she'll say, like, she'll tell you not to go outside, and if you say you're not going to get dressed, she'll just say, okay, you can just stay inside for the rest of your life. Wow, that's, that's a little ominous. Wow. <laughs> I know. She just has this kind of quirky sense of humor to her, and for just the small amount of lines she has, I think that sells their relationship really yeah, well. Yeah, she's basically your your standard perfect doomed parent. <laughs> More or less, yeah. She's like actually joking with her kids yeah. and stuff. Very yeah. fun. Like, they, they do her really well in the short time yeah. she has. It's also the only time that Klaus is in a playable section, and the game goes through to the trouble of making him a full-on party member. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah? That's fun. Uh, and if I remember right, because everyone in the music battle system thing has a different instrument, if I remember right, Lucas and Klaus have pretty similar ones. Yeah, they're, they're a little different. I know what most of the main characters' instruments are. I don't remember what Klaus's is, but Lucas has a guitar. Okay, I think Klaus's is just a yeah. bass. I think that's also well, Duster's. Well, Duster oh, well. has a flat bass. Moving on. He, he Seinfelds his enemies to death. Okay. <laughs> Jerry, okay. we gotta go to the castle, Jerry! We gotta get that egg! <laughs> okay. Uh, so there, there's a thing I want to say with Klaus's instrument, but we'll, we'll get to that later, if I remember. But you might, you might know okay. what I'm thinking of already. Okay. I don't. So, okay. the prologue... Um, anything else about it, or can we move on to the first chapter? Okay. Nope. First chapter is called <laughs> Night of the Funeral, so that kind of already tells you that this game is about to get a little bit dark. It takes a while for it to actually happen, though. Yeah, and then you get to play as the protagonist. And you get to play Dad. as the cowboy. And Flint is a really cool character, I think. Uh, I like that he's this more emotionally detached parent. Like, he still cares, but, like, he's not the one that goes with his kids to the mountains. And when they actually come back, he doesn't talk to them very much, because he's going through his own thing. Yeah, he's a very intentionally flawed character. And most of the early stuff isn't particularly noteworthy. Like, it's the kind of stuff where if we talked about it, it would be yeah. all day. So I think I, I think we can just hop to the point where he gets the good news and yeah, the bad so news. Yeah, just a brief adventure that just kind of showcases how Flint is kind of something short of the local hero. He's he's the tough guy everyone relies on, and 
find out his family's missing. Oops, gotta go find his family. And all the villagers pitch in because they're all super close and also idyllic. Like, it, this is kind of your introduction to the villagers and and the town true, that yeah. you'll spend most of the game satelliting around and offer you slightly unclean and not very tasty cookies. Yes, I love them. I love this game's writing in general. And uh, then yeah. your wife is dead. Oops. Yep. And so that is played really, really well. Like the sprite animation on Flint when he finds out and just picks up a log from the fire and slams it into it to scatter all of the yeah, wood. Yeah, uh... Just actually... Yeah, actually really well animated on that for such a simplistic art style and everything just kind of really sells the moment there do you do you want to go back to that good news and bad news again oh yeah so so the good news is that your buddy found a really valuable dinosaur fang and the bad news is that he found it stabbed through your wife's heart and he tells you that in that exact same way (laughs) oh my god you were the worst. You were the actual worst. <laughs> but yeah, that's the first punch in the story. Th- this game is notorious for being considered one of the saddest video games there is. If you go- and it makes me so happy. If it goes, if you go to any reputable list of sad video games, expect Mother Three to show up at least once on that list. And yep, the night of the funeral. Guess what? Well, actually, the funeral's the next day, so it's it's kind of a liar. Well, yeah, because it's not at night. Yeah. I, in fact, yeah, because the last day of Chapter 1 is the day of the funeral, and then it ends before you reach night. You know, Chapter 2 so, takes place that night. That's the night of the funeral. Dang. You're just busting Mother 3 to pieces here. Just really good moment there. Everything from... Hinawa's dialogue in chapter one to um, just the little musical notes that the little dissonant music notes that play as soon as you find out and then the animation on it just extremely well told yeah this game has really good animation and I credit that to the fact that it was later on in the Game Boy Advance's lifespan that might be one of the myriad reasons they didn't see fit to release it overseas is because the DS was on the rise. Yep, I think we get to that later at some point. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Um. um we we get our first look at the antagonists of the game. These weird arsonists dressed as pigs. Actually, before you find out what happened to your wife, they sick a robot caribou on you. And you get the feeling that they, well, I mean, you see them setting fires, but you get the feeling that they're doing all kinds of nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, you already played Super Smash Bros. Brawl, and you know the villain is named Porky, so, well, there you go. Yeah. I think, they're pigs, they're the bad guys. I think for as obvious as they try to make it, they don't really say the name Porky until the tip, they do not. The tip end of Chapter 7. Yep, that's exactly when they say it. Well, the rest of chapter one is good at establishing the long game. You see things that will become relevant much later in the story, like the the uh, the six very magically gifted individuals. 
Yeah, it mostly just sets up the world, sets up everything with Lucas's mom dying, um, and also Lucas's brother dying. That's a thing that happens, although actually it doesn't. Whoops. Yeah, that's. Um, it's very good at kind of setting up things that. This whole game really is really good at setting up things that will become relevant later, and it feels organic and not forced most of the time. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. It's, it's a pretty bullet. Most of the time. It's a pretty bulletproof story, most things considered. And I do like that some of the enemies at the end of chapter one will try to kamikaze you to hammer in the point that you need to be mindful of your rolling HP. Do you want to talk about the boss of chapter one? Or, actually, do you want to talk about what Flint is even doing at the end of chapter one? Oh, uh, yeah. So, first off, the dinosaur kills your wife, and you're like, okay, fine. And then your kid goes <laughs> off to try and kill the dinosaur yeah, that... to avenge your wife. And it's like, okay, yeah. gotta go stop the stupid kid. Th that's exactly what Flint thought both times. <laughs> Gotta go help the stupid kid. Like Flint, and so... Flint, your wife's dead. Okay. <laughs> and so it's <laughs> it's kind of this weird thing for me as a kid because like Klaus is going off to fight the freaking dinosaur. You know he's going to lose. You know that you have to go fast and catch him before he fights it but also you know how the game ends because you got it spoiled <laughs> and you know he's not going to live no matter how fast you go there's just this hopelessness to the whole thing that is kind of a unique approach considering the game's unique backstory for a lot of the people who would play it i don't really remember what i was expecting when i was first introduced to the chapter because I'll admit, even before I played the game, I knew everything that would happen anyway, and I watched an entire playthrough of it. So that was how I first learned of a lot of things, other than Wikipedia summaries and stuff. And I didn't realize that the the nature of you know Klaus's disappearance, I didn't think it would happen exactly like this. It was still kind of shocking to see his lifeless body at the end of chapter one is like, oh. Meanwhile, Flint fights a robot dinosaur. God. Bless it. <laughs> okay. It's the same. Yeah, I, I, hmm? I, I, I think we can finish chapter one on that. I don't have much more to say about it, at least. Well, it's the same dinosaur that you were, your son was playing with the other day, so it... Yes. Yes, because the pig mask just took the nice happy nature and ruined it. Yeah. To make it look cool. I love them. <laughs> yeah, chapter one is really just... Wham! That's... This is the game. But... Yeah, it just kind of punches you right in the heart multiple times. Gotta love that. That's why I appreciate that chapter two immediately goes to more of a light-hearted thing, in a sense. What's the title on that? That's The Thief Adventure. Hey, I thought it was. That just immediate shift in tone. Yeah, you start with... Okay, here's the thing about Mother 3, is that for the first few chapters, you keep switching protagonists around like a hot potato. <laughs> At one point in Chapter 1, Flint teams up with the town loser named Duster, and... He's supposed to be a thief, I guess. 
and Duster just shares some words of solace with Flint after the funeral. And chapter two starts with the same thing, but from Duster's perspective. Mm -hmm. Duster is the designated town thief. That is his profession. Yeah, it's literally his job. Like, they are a communist society, everyone has their own role in the town, and he is the town thief. You know what it reminds me of? There were these animated Ronald McDonald cartoons, which, for... This this will matter to you, but no one else. That's where Ronald McDonald's dog came from. But anyway, there's a bit where the Hamburglar is stealing hamburgers, and after Ronald and friends bust him, he's like... Like, I know you can't help it, being the Hamburglar and all, and that just made me think, (laughs) is that just his job? Is he supposed to steal the hamburgers? And I think of that whenever I think of Duster being the designated thief. Yes. And so then you do the rest of Chapter 2, which is dumb, and I don't like it. You don't like Chapter 2? I don't like Chapter 2. There's not really much story going on out there, and all of the gameplay is annoying because you only have one character, and he can't heal himself without items. Okay, that is that is that is worthwhile to say. You do get a lot more setup that they couldn't fit into chapter one. You meet this weird salesman, and you see a shiny object in the ground somewhere, and uh, you you do get your first instance of PSI abilities. Uh, yeah, I do like the second half where you have Wes and Kumatora backing you up. The first half is pretty annoying and mostly pointless. Yeah, it's it's kind of when I... the game has to be more of an RPG than Mother. And there's a part yeah. of the game that I kind of dislike that I'll, I'll talk about when we get to it, but it's kind of similar for me for what you think of Chapter 2. Okay. And, um... well, just, just for plot purposes, I guess because everything is going bad for the village and stuff now, that half of Lucas's family is off the map. Duster's father, who's an old thief himself, says, "Like Duster, go go to the castle and steal something. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Have fun." Yep. And so the chapter is: you break into the castle and you steal the thing. Yeah. There's this. And you don't know what the thing does. There's this ancient castle north of the village, and nobody cares about Duster going in to break into the castle or anything. Nobody lives there. Yeah. Except this little girl who lives there. Well, there's a lot of ghosts, too. There's a lot of ghosts. I love the ghosts. They're so fun. There's this little girl who lives there, and she's very rude, and she has psychic power. And up until now... when that happens. Yeah. Up until now, no one's had any psychic power, except on your quest for Klaus, you found out that these mages gave Klaus psychic power to make him better at fighting the Drago. Look where that got him. And so that's a nice introduction. Just really building the world there where how you don't just start with the magic. It's actually a thing in the world that you have to learn about and unlock. Yeah, I think it's like I said, chapter two is really good at continuing the world building. It's kind of annoying. And you you start clashing with the pigs a lot more towards the end of the chapter. Yeah, sets them up as more of an antagonist, because they want the MacGuffin that you're looking for. Yeah. They want this egg. They want this nice egg that's being offered to you in this trying time. The egg of light. But as we know, Alex does not like eggs. No, I do not. 
So, anything else about Chapter 2? Nope. Okay, then I guess on to Chapter 3, The Suspicious Peddler, we change... Which is good again. <laughs> we change perspectives to that weird salesman from Chapter 2, but it's a little bit before he meets Duster, and he's in cahoots with the pigs, and he has this weird little monkey fella, and... The monkey has a monkey mate, I guess, and they're separated, and your monkey is the protagonist and has a shot collar, which the salesman is happy about pressing all the time. Kind of like this. Hee-haw! You're the worst. And so what really stands out to me about Chapter 3 is just how it sells your powerlessness. Yeah, so why don't you go into that? And so, basically, everything that goes on, you do what your master tells you to. If you do it wrong, he shocks you. Um, even if he shocks you in front of people, they do not notice. And you just have to do what he told you to do anyways. You cannot sass him. Even in fights, you're basically worthless just trying to stall while your master solves the problem for you. I always thought it was a weird oversight that he would still shock you in front of people. I don't know if that was to sell anything, because that feels like that would clash with his agenda. He'd look bad. Um, well, so the people of Tasmili don't really have that much technology. They might not really know what's going on. Like, the visual effect does have you, like, getting charcoal black and everything, but a real shock color doesn't do that. It's just pain. Oh, yeah, it's... And... And so, realistically, they wouldn't know what's happening. Well, I guess, but, you know, this this also has ghosts and mutant animals and stuff. But So, yeah, you're, you're a weak little monkey fella, and you, you basically have to rely on your slave driver to win the fights for you. And I remember Itoy also saying that he wanted to give you Stockholm Syndrome for the merchant, where you come to appreciate his power and... In practice, oh, I, I, in practice, that's interesting. Yeah, but in practice, I was just like, "Oh, come on, attack already!" Like I was, imp- nah, he, I was impatient yeah, for him. St- you still hate him, and he only does the good attack sometimes. So you're just gonna be like, "Why aren't you using the good attack, you dumb?" I think that's why they gave you that weird sequence with the dung beetle, so you could build up exp without having to fight too much. Pretty much, because yeah. there's a similar thing in chapter four with. Thankfully, not dung beetles, but... And so, I think one of the biggest things that sticks out to me in Chapter 3 is the peddler's speech. Where he just gathers everyone in town and talks to them about their peaceful, idyllic life. And says, like, don't you feel like there's something missing? Shouldn't you be happier? And so I think that kind of gets into the philosophy of the game. Where, like, a lot of unhappiness comes from just thinking that you should have things better. That's an interesting way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they do have pretty much everything a person needs to be happy. They have family, they have love, they have, like, sunlight, they have fresh air, they don't work at factories yet. And then this guy comes in and says, like, hey, but if you did work at a factory, you could have a TV. Yeah, it's not really a TV. He gives them happy boxes, which are 
little TVs that make flashing lights that make them happy. Which is just kind of a straw man of happiness doesn't come in a little mechanical box. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the whole thing with the salesman is that he's basically trying to modernize these Amish people. They're not really Amish, but you get the point. I think they might literally be Amish. No, because Amish is an actual faith, but... Yeah, they don't subscribe to any particular faith, but they do... Yeah, so they're not literally Amish, but they do follow most of the tenets in practice, I think. So he's basically trying to modernize these extremely rural villagers, and he's using the monkey to do it. Yes, he uses you to just, like, charm everyone and be a cute monkey so that they pay attention to him. And we get a little bit of that in his brief appearance in Chapter 2, where Duster runs into this farmer, and he sold his pigs for money, but he doesn't know what money is because they don't have a concept of money. So he's introducing capitalism to a little socialist utopia. And I actually noticed when I played the game is you can find him making the transaction with the farmer in Chapter 1. Oh, huh. Yeah, I was just running around as Flint, and I went down to the farm for some reason, and I saw them talking to each other, and I thought, wow, he appears that early. Yeah, you can always find those sorts of things in this game, actually. Um, one thing I wanted to mention but forgot in Chapter 2, it takes place the night of the funeral, like we said. Yeah. You can go to Lucas's house, which is completely off the beaten path, and you can just find him sitting outside on the porch, looking sad. Like a loser! Broke my freaking heart. I played the game like four times and didn't find it until the fifth. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my god. He's just been there this whole time. It is kind of neat, because I think that's also one of the very few times where Lucas has explicit dialogue. He tends to when you're not playing as him, I think. Yeah, whoever the protagonist is becomes silent. Everyone else will talk. like Except the monkey. He's obviously never going to talk. But Yeah. The, this chapter kind of coincides with the climax of chapter 2, when you're dealing with the pigs in an antagonistic light, and Duster goes missing at the end of chapter 2. We forgot to mention that. He goes missing, oh, yeah. and the treasure was taken with him. The egg. And Alright, and you're like chasing him down at the time where he does get the egg. Yeah. Because na- now you're allied with the pigs, because they're making you. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of tell the story in a cute way like that. Yeah, it's really neat, and it, it's it's stuck with me ever since then. Sometimes whenever I think of stories, I have to fight the instinct to make the first half just a hot potato perspective. <laughs> it's a good freaking perspective. Yeah, like I said, this game is very influential for me in a number of ways. Yeah, you deal with the sort of the fallout of the second chapter, and the monkey teams up with... Duster's ally characters from the other chapter, Kumatora, who is the the princess with psychic power, and she's an actual party character, and then Duster's dad, who's just an assist character, he doesn't do anything. He's like Waluigi, he's just an assist character. <laughs> yeah, and so they rescue you from your master, and then... You fight a tank! They're chasing... and they're, yeah, and then they're chasing you down, and you fight a tank. And that's probably... One of my favorite fights in the game, because that's your first real official stand against the pigs and what they're doing. I like it for that, and also because you have a mimic ability that lets you mimic the last attack the enemy used on you. 
and so he can fire his cannon, and you can, as a monkey, fire your own cannon. Just don't ask what he's firing. Yes. It's great. I love it. And then, after moping for two whole chapters, Lucas shows up out of nowhere, and he's still <laughs> he's shown to still be friends with the family of the robot dragon that killed his mom, and the remaining dragon, dinosaur, uh, just chews up the salesman and throws him into the distance. Yeah. It's like, you, you, so you I... couldn't bite him a little harder due to him what you did to my mom? And so I really like that moment. Like It kind of invites you to compare Lucas and Klaus and how they handled things. Klaus just immediately says, I hate the Dragos, they took my mom from me, I'm going to kill them. And then Lucas like tries to understand the issue and works with them and gets their help. Yeah, I do think that that was a very good moment for Lucas and a good introduction to what he'll be for the rest of the game, but I do wish that there was a little bit more dwelling on that, showing us what he actually went through and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because he just came out of nowhere. You... Last we saw him, he was still on the porch. Yeah, you don't really see much of his recovery. I don't remember if you can find him in Chapter 3 at all. Maybe not. I don't think so. So you don't really get to see much of his recovery. If you go off you the beaten him. path, you get shocked. So maybe you could hack the game and run into him. I don't know. But You can go a little off, but yeah. Now, before we get to the rest of the game, which is very different from these first three chapters, I think we should actually cut the episode a little short because we've been talking for about an hour now. Oops. Now, I, I knew this would happen in the back of my mind. So, I'm going to make this a multi-parter, just like we did with Octopath. Yay, I'm talkative. I mean, I'm also talkative. We just enable each other. Yeah. So, gonna going to cut it short here. Chapters 1 through 3 of Mother 3 are very different from the rest of the game, so I think it's an appropriate stopping point. Okay, are you going to release the next episode three years later? <laughs> Spoiler alert, the rest of the game takes place after a three-year time skip. Yay. So, just going to stop it here. We're going to see you next week. And if you want to keep up with the show, the BitCast has a Facebook and a Twitter page. The Twitter page is new, but I'm a lot more active there than on Facebook. And is there anything you want to say or plug or anything? Uh, no. Okay. Well, we'll just uh, cut that short there and see you next time. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.